Coming to you from the HagmanReport.com studio. Located in the Keystone State, birthplace of a mighty nation, it's your host, Doug Hagman. And welcome to Hagman. It's the Hagman Report for today. It's uh, Monday, August 12th, 2019. Hagman Report, where truth can't be silenced. Uh, go to our website, HagmanReportLive.com. That's HagmanReportLive.com for all of the videos, popular videos, the audios, the downloads, what have you, and the program descriptions that can be found there. Also, HagmanReport.com. That's where contributors, articles, and such can be found. Some show notes, some uh, background information, important stuff there. Uh, today's broadcast, I'll tell you what, I've, I've got this. Uh, folks, if if you are not on the edge of your seat right now, and if you're not angry, and if you're not curious, if you're not um, concerned, you're not paying attention to current events. The big news, of course, Jeffrey Epstein having um, hung himself reportedly, ostensibly hung himself in jail, right? That's the story, Okay. Well, I'll tell you something. It's uh, rather interesting because um, many people think, uh, well, many people think he's not dead. Many people think he's dead but murdered. Many people say, well, I buy the official story. But it's interesting as to what this story has uh, or what this event has done uh, to galvanize the American public in certain respects. Now, normally Peter Barry Chaka would be joining me uh, at the second hour of today. However, a scheduling conflict prevents him from doing so. And I'm sure his, the people who follow him and like him will be disappointed, but he'll perhaps he'll come on later in the week. Uh, so uh, here, here's what I'm going to be doing today. I'm going to be going over the Jeffrey Epstein case and his death to the extent where you will be, you will have the knowledge necessary to make your own decisions as to what is taking place here. I've got a timeline. I know this case pretty much inside and out. I know the players in this, and I'm here to give you the facts. I'm here to give you the truth. Not spin, perhaps supposition, perhaps some theories, and even perhaps some opining, but at least this will be, uh, the, 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 the backbone of this will be factual, and you will have a timeline that you can, you can understand what is going on here and why this is so critical. I also have a video, a, little, uh, a short video to play, uh, well, from a show from a week ago where investigator Randy Taylor was in studio. And I also have a video, a longer video segment to play from jo uh, Alex Jones in Fours. And the reason I, I, I want to do that is I don't want to cover uh, ground that's already been covered in the new medium. All right. And he makes some good points in his video. Before I get fully started, I just want to say thank you to those who support us and thanks to our sponsors as well. Folks, have you heard about ZipRecruiter? If you own a business, if you, if you, if you, or if you're that person who hires people, you're looking for talented people, let me give you the website to go to. And that's ziprecruiter.com slash Hagman. You know, it's, it's difficult today to find qualified candidates. It takes a long time. There's too many applicants. You know, it's just a hassle, right? So you want to cut down that hassle. 
well, the, the, the best way, the, the, best, the best website I found for hiring applicants, that qualified applicant that fits precisely what you need is ZipRecruiter.com. I know so many people have used this ever since we began uh, uh, talking about this. I've had people come up to me and say, you know what, I've used ZipRecruiter and by far they're the best, if, the best on the, out there. All right, folks, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, they scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to the job that you've got. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within the first day. Now, my son-in-law, who's got a, a very successful logistics business, has used this several times with great success. Right now, to those listeners of the Hagman Report, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Write this down. Mark this down. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. Two ends on Hagman. Again, ZipRecruiter dot com slash h a g m a n n ziprecruiter dot com slash hagman ziprecruiter is the smartest way to hire all right now <clears throat> again a lot of information to get into saw a tweet that I think best summarizes what we're looking at and Eric if you could show that tweet I think it's John McAfee uh, this is about the Epstein um, Epstein uh, suicide, ostensible alleged suicide. And, and I thought this captured the sentiment entirely. It writes John McAfee, I don't even know who this guy is. I, I was stunned by Epstein's suicide, though probably not as much as Epstein himself. A little bit of gallows humor there, but doesn't that really capture <laughs> the sentiment today? If you don't know anything about Jeffrey Epstein, I, I, I really can't help you too much. But if you know, at least know the basics, that he is a convicted pedophile, was a convicted pedophile, and uh, underage children has at his own island, um, if you at least know that much, I'll guide you through the rest of the, the program. Folks, what I ask, it's a simple thing to ask. Please follow me through the end of this program. And if by the end of the program, you're not, you don't understand this case frontwards and backwards and have the facts, then, you know, I guess I'll have to give you my, your, your money back. But I, I think that I've got this pretty well laid out. Start to finish. Now, a week ago today, Randy Taylor, an investigator, was in studio. And we were talking about Jeffrey Epstein. And I thought we talked more on, on, on air about it. But, uh, you know, come to find out, we were talking off air about, about Jeffrey Epstein and about Pedigate and about Pizzagate and about all of the uh, ch uh, child sex trafficking, uh, human trafficking issues. So I'm going to have uh, Randy Taylor back to talk more about this. But something was said last Monday, and here it is. Yeah, she may go down. And B... Well, Bush Sr. is not around to protect her anymore. Right. 
No, that's a good point. And you mentioned the death penalty thing. Mm -hmm. Epstein just got nailed, which is going to drag Bill Clinton down. If Epstein lives long enough. So there you have it. If Epstein lives long enough. Now, the conversation between uh, Randy Tiller and myself, we, we, uh, uh, we had a lengthy conversation about this, and, and we were teasing one another, I suppose, saying that, you know, Epstein is such a radioactive element within the deep state. Not sure if, you know, not sure if he's going to make it. Um, and if that was your thought initially, well, congratulations. But that also puts you directly square in the crosshairs of the FBI. Now, you folks, listeners of this program, recall how many times I've talked about in the last week or two about the May 30th, 2019 FBI bulletin. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the FBI document that warns conspiracy theories are a new domestic terrorism threat. Do you find that timing a little bit interesting? The timing of, of that as well as the Epstein death and everything that's happened both before and after Epstein. Remember, on May 30th of, of this year, the FBI for the first time identified in air quotes, dreaded air quotes, the fringe conspiracy theories as a domestic threat. The FBI intelligence bulletin, by the way, from the Phoenix field office of the FBI, is dated May 30th of this year, describes conspiracy theory-driven domestic extremists as a growing threat and notes that it is the first such report to do so. Okay, so you noticed, I'm sure if you followed any of the coverage, how the death, the clear-cut case of suicide of Jeffrey Epstein is fueling conspiracy theories and is giving fodder for conspiracy theorists. Well, doesn't that fall in line with the May 30th, 2019 document, making those people who talk about such things a domestic terrorist? I say it does. I don't like situations where you've got a warning, if you will, and then an event, and then because of the warning and the event combined, puts you in the crosshairs or in the crosshairs of the FBI or some other law enforcement agency, or otherwise depicts a person merely asking questions as it paints them as a conspiracy theorist and a, therefore a domestic terrorist threat. So by definition, all of us are domestic terrorist threats, aren't we? All right. What I plan to do, again, just to recap today or for today, what I plan to do is I'm going to give you the essence of the case against Epstein. There was a document released last Thursday or Friday. I think it was Friday. Okay, document release. It was compliments of uh, Cernovich and I think the Miami Herald and some others 
the Epstein documents went online, and they're explosive documents. It contains they contain explosive information. So much so, let's start out with that, shall we? Document one. Now, this is directly from the new, newly released documents of Jeffrey Epstein. And again, if you don't know who Jeffrey Epstein is, or if you're not familiar with that, uh, I'm not going to go back and uh, give you his bio, okay, lengthy bio. We're going to pick up as if you know that he is a convicted sex offender. So let's put up the first document from the court documents released. Now, let me see if I can find my own paper here. Well, all right. Um, This document is against, ultimately, this document is part of the documents that were released. And this this document, as you're looking at on the screen, is a document that um, talks about Ms. Maxwell who served as the, I'll just say, as the madam for Jeffrey Epstein. And this court document outlines where Ms. Maxwell approached the plaintiff, an underage female, when she was 15 years old to, to uh, recruit her into human, uh, sex, child sex trafficking as a masseuse. And you can just you follow along on the screen there. You can look at the accusations um, against Ms. Maxwell, against Jeffrey Epstein. The fact that Epstein uh, provided young women, and this is is important, that he operated a sexual, uh, a sex ring of underage girls for powerful people. And really, at the epicenter of what we're talking about, or at the epicenter of this case. Epstein served as a concierge, as a, as, a, as a pimp for the deep state. That's what we're talking about, as a pimp for the rich and powerful. Document one shows that. It proves that, or I shouldn't say proves it, it alleges that. And it, and I think it's important for people to really look at this in in that fashion as, hey, wait a minute, you know, what's what's the big deal here with respect to the Epstein case? Well, Epstein, and, and why is Epstein such a, a an important person? And why should we care if he's dead if he was such a bad guy? Well, the reason being, and I do have those documents right here, is it shows where Epstein was the conduit for young girls, specifically young girls for the rich and powerful. And again, these are the documents that were the consequence. And, and there's hundreds and hundreds of pages from the Cernovich uh, 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 lawsuits to get these documents unsealed in Miami Herald and some other places. But uh, again, Maxwell, Epstein, they were personally responsible in sexual abuse and sex trafficking uh, scheme created by Epstein. Uh, Ms. Maxwell and Epstein uh, participated in the sexual abuse of the plaintiff and others. I mean, it's horrible. It was just horrible. And and a little bit about Epstein that I'll just kind of go back and make sure that you know. The... um, the guy owns an island, all right? Just so you know, I mean, he's he owns an island, and I really wasn't going to get into too much to this, but he owns one of the Virgin Islands flat out, and that's where some of this 
this, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, perversion take place. There it is right there, Little St. James. And he also owns a, Man a Manhattan uh, townhouse, and he owns some uh, property in uh, Palm Springs, Florida, and elsewhere. He owns a lot of property. The guy's, the guy's a multi-gazillionaire, all right? He's got more money than you and, you and me and everyone, pretty much everyone listening will ever have. How did he get that, that rich? How did he get that powerful? Well, it depends on who you ask. After all, I mean, he started his career as a mathematician and teacher. And then he got to start in the financial world back in 1975 as an options trader for Bear Stearns, became a partner in the firm in 80. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at some Wall Street money there. Um, he owned the financial trust company in 1996, basis company in the Virgin Islands, uh, for tax purposes, by the way, and took on a lot of big-name clients. That's essentially how Epstein made his money. So accusations, cases adjudicated against Jeffrey Epstein has caused him to be named a pedophile. And by definition... Based on the adjudicated cases, criminal cases, that's what he is or was. He had to register as a sex offender in the state of Florida. He owned an airplane. Many rich and powerful people flew on that airplane. Bill Clinton, 27 times. Where? To the island, to his island, little St. James in the Virgin Islands. That's just one person. And then people will say, well, Donald Trump flew in that airplane too. But if you really get into it, if you really get into it, he just hopped a ride from Palm, or from, uh, Palm Beach to, to uh, New York City. That's the extent of Donald Trump's travels now with Epstein. Now, when you, when you travel in the circles like Donald Trump travels in, where there's a ton of money. You're going to run into people like Jeffrey Epstein and Jeffrey Epstein himself. So you really can't, I mean, it's more, think of it this way. Um, when, when we go to conferences, Eric the Tech and I, we run into people like Gary Stearman and, and uh, I mean, insert name a person there, we're whoever. Does that mean that we're, you know, going to, uh, you know, riding in their, in their vehicles and, going to different places with them. No, no, it's just, we just happen to be in those circles. So proximity in this case does not equal guilt or even suspicion of guilt. So with respect to Donald Trump, I would urge people to, to look at that a little bit differently than say Bill Clinton or Prince Andrew or whoever it might be. Again, just because you're, you're in that, that same set of, uh, same, pool of people does not mean you're uh, you're one of the same kind of fish, okay, in terms of, uh, uh, well, you understand what I mean, I think. All right, now, I'm going to wait until the break is over because this, this what I'm going to start on is a timeline. And it goes back to, I think it goes back to 2005, when everything really started to unravel for Jeffrey Epstein. 
And you need to understand this. You need to understand the backstory in order to understand why allegedly his corpse was, or his body was taken out of the Manhattan uh, uh, Correctional Center. Allegedly, you know, with, without a pulse and not breathing and why it's so important. And you need to know the players here. Both the accused and the people around the accused and those doing the accusing. You need to see how long this has been dragging out and who's been dragging it out. Would you believe Robert Mueller? Oh, yeah. He was head of the FBI. Would you believe the Department of Justice under Obama? Oh, yeah, yeah. How about the Clinton factor? Oh, yes, oh, yes. So stay tuned because I'm going to lay this all out for you. But at the end of this segment right now, I've got to ask you, who benefits from Epstein no longer being among the living? Let's just take this at face value for a moment. Let's assume that he's not whisked away in some witness protection program. I don't believe he is. Being alive, Jeffrey Epstein being alive, to me, represents more of a liability than him dead. I don't believe that uh, there was any body switching. I don't believe that he's in Guantanamo. I don't believe... I do believe that he's dead. This is my personal belief based on my investigative, my investigative uh, uh, research. I believe he's dead and talking with people. Because dead men tell no tales. And he's more of a liability alive than dead. Who's got the power to kill him in prison? Believe it or not, it's that not that difficult. Actually, some, some say it's a little, a little bit easier because it's a closed setting. More importantly, who's got the motive? Who's got the biggest motive? So you're looking at motive. You're looking at means. And, of course, the opportunity is provided. So who has the motive and the means to take Jeffrey Epstein out of the, out of the equation? And what would the motive be? And the motive, of course, being complete ruin and subject, uh, subjugation to criminal charges, the exposure of the deep state child trafficking, I believe. This is my personal assessment now. Child sex ring, child sex trafficking, everything that we've talked about, whether it's with Russ Dizdar, or, or whoever, whether it's Pedogate or Pizzagate, everything we've talked about at some level either points to or folds in, overlaps Epstein. Again, it, it's either, uh, and it's per, Epstein's either at the periphery or Epstein's at the epicenter, but Epstein has a hand or had a hand in all of this. Again, Pedigate, 
one can argue Pizzagate to a lesser extent, at least some of the players in, in, in what is known as Pizzagate overlapped into the circles of Epstein. Bill and Hillary Clinton, again, the Clinton factor. So you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, who benefits by his death? And again, I do believe that, that he is dead. I don't believe, however, that he committed suicide. That's my personal belief. And at the, at the other side of the break here, I'm going to tell you why and, and how and what we're looking at in terms of the investigation that should be done. And then I'm going to walk you through a timeline that's so critically important that will answer a lot of questions for you. You're listening to the Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, today, talking about the, I'm going to call it the murder of Jeffrey Epstein and why it's so important. The deep state is, in fact, being exposed. Going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. And thanks for hanging with me. You're listening to the Hagman Report on this Monday edition, August 12th, 2019, talking primarily about Jeffrey Epstein and why this makes why this matters. This is galvanizing, in my view. This is galvanizing a lot of people. This is waking up a lot of people about the existence of conspiracies and the demonization of those who reference conspiracies. Um as domestic terrorists, you know, it's it just, it, it boggles the mind. I find it very interesting, the, the timing of this, and, and, and uh, I find it extremely important that we are looking at today, to me, the deep state, the bad players are not even trying to hide their evil deeds. Because who wouldn't ask questions who wouldn't question this particular death? Out of all the deaths, maybe second to the president or um, you know someone, someone of that caliber, this death, obviously, because he had the goods on so many high-profile and powerful people from celebrities to politicians to world leaders to you name it, and he winds up dead. What we're talking about here, and I, I'm going to take you to Investigations 101. Allow me this, please. What we're talking about, and I had mentioned this before, is talking about uh, uh, even the case of my son opening up an equivocal death investigation. Well, what does that mean? What's an equivocal death investigation? From uh, Practical Homis, uh, the, the book uh, pra Practical Homicide Investigation, which is really the Bible on homicide investigations on page uh, 22, there's a really an outline of what an equivocal death investigation is. And there it is right there. I, I actually put that on the scanner and scanned this in for you. And you'll note there it says that equivocal death investigations are inquiries that are open to interpretation. Now, this is the investigator and me kind of talking to you about what we're looking at here in the larger sense. In equivocal death investigations, there may be two or more meanings. 
in, in the case may present as a homicide or suicide, depending on the circumstances. In the case of Epstein, this obviously was a suicide, or at least presented that way. The facts are purposely vague or misleading in the case of a staged crime scene, or the death is suspicion or questionable based upon what is presented to the authorities. In this case, based on what's, what's presented to the American people, or the people of Earth, I guess. These deaths may resemble homicides or suicides, accidents or naturals. They're open to interpretation pending further information of the facts. The victimology and the circumstances of the event, those last two phrases there, so important, victimology. Epstein, given his, given his position as having a lot of names, imagine, imagine knowing what he knew. Imagine having films, by the way, CDs, DVDs, and he did. That makes him a pretty high-risk victim, and he knew it. So we're looking at victimology here. And we're also looking at circumstances of the event, again, in this equivocal death investigation. And, and I like it uh, because uh, the author of Practical Homicide Investigations, this is really the Bible of Homicide Investigations, says that, remember, things are not always as they appear to be. And we have to remember that. And in fact, in stage crime scenes or in stage suicides or homicides, and you can look on the screen there, the presentation of the homicide victim and the manipulation of the crime scene by a clever offender could make the death appear to be a, a suicide. And the author has investigated such cases. And, and he writes that the initially, the truth is that initially the cases did look like suicides. And I guarantee you, folks, you at some point, perhaps, you might be treated to um, visuals from this. And I'm not sure whether it's photographs or even CCTV video, if that ever becomes available, that will convince you that this was nothing more than an unfortunate suicide. And then at the bottom, he goes into state types of crime scene staging. Number one applies here. The most common type of staging occurs when the perpetrator changes elements of the scene to make the death appear to be suicide or accident in order to cover up a murder. All right, and he goes on to case histories and such. I want to point that out to you because this is exactly what we're talking about. And as I mentioned before, this, this kind of strikes at the heart of the, the, uh, the death of my son Joe where I had asked for an equivocal death investigation because things appeared to be one way and they were something totally different. But that's not what I'm talking about today. We're talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Now, before I get into the timeline, and the timeline really kind of embraces and sets the stage and everything, I, I want to turn to Alex Jones for a moment. I'd like to play the Alex Jones video. There's about a nine-minute video, and I'm not sure how long we're going to let this play. But rather than re rehash everything that he stated, I agree with what he had said. And I think this video came out yesterday. And I have not talked to not I've not talked to him about this. I I hope to have the opportunity to speak with him about this. Uh, but it's an interesting take. I think he did this Sunday, yesterday, 
it's an interesting take and some interesting observations. And rather than me rehash this, we'll just go right to the source. Alex Jones, go ahead and roll that video. Jeffrey Epstein's reported death yesterday has sent shockwaves across the world. No one that I've talked to believes the official story. We've seen the attorney general come out and launch a major investigation with the inspector general. We've seen Democrats, people like Al Green that I normally don't agree with, come out and say, listen, we need to see the surveillance footage of what happened in his jail cell right now. Two massive points I want to hit first. This Jeffrey Epstein story is so huge because it's at the heart of a multinational intelligence and corporate blackmail operation that's been going on for at least 40 years. He was a key pimp and procurer running stables of these underage girls and, yes, even children. Now, remember, 10 years ago, we first reported on Epstein and had expert guests on specifically talking about his island in the Caribbean, the aircraft, the Clintons, the manifestos, our Secret Service sources. And now it's all coming out. So remember, the corporate media and big tech have all worked to suppress Jeffrey Epstein, to suppress the knowledge of this, and to protect the people that have been involved in this operation. Now, we've seen the Catholic Church taken over by this. We've seen all these other big institutions, uh, the Boy Scouts now being taken over. This is a cult of power that uses this evil of corrupting people and compromising them to control. It's a gang initiation. Okay, uh, now, we're gonna pause get that just for a second. Now, here's what I want to point out, all right? Because when, when you've got society that's breaking down, and, and I'm just going to interject this right here. I, I truly believe that this is a conspiracy, and I, I don't believe a thing the government is telling us, or the I don't believe the, the original narrative or, you know, what we're being told. But when we look at today in society, conspiracy theories often become the norm Okay, and and they become very contagious. It's almost like a, a cold through a preschool center, and your reason becomes secondary. It becomes subjugated to conspiracy theory, and time, specifically patience, in cases becomes non-existent. So you can show people, for example. A, a, whether it be a, a videotape uh, or a video of, of, of an event that happened, and they'll say, no, it didn't happen that way. Again, reason is abandoned. And I just want to throw that in there to, to, to not, not to say this is not what it, you know, this is not a conspiracy, but I, I just want to mention this because when you look at this as objectively as possible, all right, you've got to come to a conclusion that we have a problem. If, if the government is telling us one thing and we say, uh-uh, I'm not buying it, then we, you know there's a problem already. There's an underlying problem. And you know that there's an underlying problem when you cannot trust, for example, uh, the FBI. And who created that environment? Okay. I just wanted to toss that in there because uh, the justice system really has become a legal system, as I mentioned before, and it's advanced by political interests. Justice has been delayed in many cases. 
and in the Epstein case as well. And the failure, as I've talked about this before, of equal justice has a tendency to increase. Now listen to me, the failure of an equal justice system or equal justice itself has this tendency to increase as those in power become more corrupt. I think that's pretty well stated, if I may say so for myself. Okay. And when you have justice made political or politicized or justice delayed or justice de denied, then one begins to question everything. But in this case, the questions are warranted. But this is a dangerous time in this country, especially with the lack of justice. Why do you think that we were, we've been pushing equal justice, equal justice tour? The weighted scale and the blindfolded justice is, is not, it's not something we have today. I just wanted to toss that in there, not to balance what Alex is saying, but to um, add to what he's saying. Because I, I thought of that when he was talking about, about this very issue at that moment. So go ahead and, and let's continue with Alex Jones. Epstein himself in a moment. But again, Friday, I had Mark Rondaza, the lawyer that sued and got these documents with Mike Cernovich and others on the show, and it's so damaging and so dangerous what's in the thousands of pages that he said he wouldn't even get into it. He just pointed people to the documents that we have linked on InfoWars.com. A couple days later, they're still not even getting into what's in the documents. We have gotten into it, and I will get into it and that's in what, a moment. That, that's what but you heard about the... Uh, his you can keep it going. That, that's, that's what you heard about the, from what I mentioned about these documents here, um, about Maxwell and the... And the uh, uh, well, the allegations of the uh, uh, minor in the case that I'll be going through in a moment. So go ahead and continue. Death. He was on suicide watch. Reportedly, they don't know he tried to kill himself or somebody attacked him. That's a sign of a cover-up right there. Then they take him off suicide watch 12 days before he supposedly dies. None of this is by the book. In fact, it's all exactly against the book. Now, let's expand on that. Looking at the comments on YouTube, the comments in mainstream news stories, the comments on Infowars.com and Newswars.com, most people think he's in the witness protection program and that they staged his death. At a fundamental gut level, I don't really think that's the case because they want to get rid of somebody that has all this information and who's been caught red-handed because dead men tell no tales. And there it is. And it's a threat to all the other witnesses that, hey, you think the Clinton death count at 200 and something's big? You think we won't add your names to that list? That's why I think Epstein was probably actually killed. I then, agree. of course, there's the official story that he committed suicide. That's why we need the video. But it gets worse. You know how easy it is to deep fake anything you want, especially with CCTV cameras. And there it is. So the truth is, what we really can take away from this is that there's no confidence in the system. 
There's no confidence in the establishment. And they've been caught lying so many times in so many ways and faking and staging things that it's reasonable for people to think he's in the witness protection program. It's reasonable to think he committed suicide. It's reasonable to think that they killed him and said it was a suicide. Okay, uh, hold on, hold on, it's hold on, hold on. See, the problem with that, though, as I mentioned before, on May 30th, the FBI says, no, that's not reasonable. And if you do talk about that, then you are a domestic terrorist by definition. Do you think this May 30th document, the timing, the existence, was purely coincidental? I don't think so. I didn't mean to interrupt Alex Jones, but let's continue. ...to not believe a damn word we're told. But what do we know? Trump has said he wanted Epstein investigated years ago. Check. First time was four years ago. He's been saying it all over the news. He's been helping open all of this up, and he's been helping have massive transparency. But every time the media talks about it, they say Donald Trump's friend, Jeffrey Epstein, who is just a fellow billionaire, they were at parties together off and on publicly for a few years. Not on the aircraft 20-plus times with Bill Clinton with children's names blacked out only as initials. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. So again, this isn't about protecting Donald Trump. It's not about anything that's political. It's about children, ladies and gentlemen. And the sick, evil media is sitting there making it all about politicians and people that had almost no connection to Epstein, but not making it about Bill and Hillary Clinton, Israeli prime ministers, and all these other people that were on board that aircraft Lolita Express, that pedophile island and at other overseas facilities. Again, I cannot stress enough the two central hubs to this. A, this guy was running a massive international blackmail sex operation with of age and underage uh, individuals, and this could bring down the entire deep state. That's why it's so important. There it is. But the second point is no one is buying the official story. And so it shows really a coming of age with the American people and others that they're not so naive. That's why and they hate that's why they hate us. All the forces can engage in all the censorship they want and try forever to suppress the truth, but it's all going to come out. Just like the Bible says, no matter how deep you hide something in the sea, it's going to get thrown up on the shore and what you are, are, are working hardest to cover up will end up coming out at high noon. And that's what's happening right now. So more than ever know, we've got these guys on the run. We've got them on their heels. They're going to pull a lot of crap. They're going to stage a lot of events. They've got Hollywood cranked up on high, pushing race war and division between the sexes and demoralization. The Chicoms are funding the whole thing. They've bought up 90% of the major agencies. But the people see through all of this, and we're in the process of retaking our country and actually governing ourselves again and getting out of this world government project. Now, again, I'm not here taking credit. It's just on the record that we were the first and the strongest exposing this international child kidnapping uh, blackmail ring. And, and I'd like to think that we were a part of that, too. That's why they tried to silence us, but they failed. But just yesterday at my hotel, I had a group of five leftists. Now, like a bunch this of is kind of interesting, come too. Over in front of my 11-year-old daughter and say, we hope you kill yourself, we hope you die. And I said, look at how evil you are. You serve Hillary, you serve the deep state, you, all this stuff that's going on, you are aiding and abetting it. And they basically crapped their pants. And then I said, get behind me, Satan. And they scurried off like rats. I was right about the pedophile rings. Dead on, I've risked my life to do it. But that isn't what matters. If you don't speak out and take action, ladies and gentlemen, you're aiding and abetting these people. There we go. 
on the airplane out here to San Diego, flying out yesterday morning. We just learned this was happening. Shot a video out there, <laughs> uploaded to our own it's system. Pretty interesting here. And guess what happened? People on the plane heard us talking, and they said, a bunch of Democrats, they said, that's good. That's good that Hillary killed Epstein. I was saying, I bet you know Hillary's behind it. That shows you how she's a tough leader. That's why we needed her in the White House. And I heard a bunch of other Democrats go, yeah, yeah, good, they killed him. They have converted their general voters to basically Satanist. It's unbelievable. And, and okay, you can stop right there. That statement right there is more meaningful, I think, than people will give Alex credit for or will understand. Because what is behind this and what is very closely tied to this is Satanism. And, and you might think, or satanic uh, worship. And you might think, my goodness, you've really gone off the deep end. But when you look at child trafficking and you look at the crimes associated with this, you also look into, um, uh, I, don't want to even, I don't want to say anecdotal, but the crimes that are closely attached to this. For example, you may remember the case of uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. Otis Toole, if that name sounds familiar, he was the one who captured and ultimately beheaded uh, Adam Walsh back in, uh, down in Florida. Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole got together, and they, they were um, back in, uh, they were born in the 40s, I, I believe. And back in the early, late 70s, early 80s, in that time period, they were responsible for a lot of deaths, a lot of murders, I should say. And the, the reason I bring them up is because for a period of time, there was uh, Otis Tool, I believe it was a Tool or Lucas, one of the two, and I apologize for not remembering, was talking about a specific satanic cult in the Everglades, okay? And the, the, the police were looking for the satanic cult, and ultimately, uh, Tool or Lucas, one of the two, spun the line that they were actually a part of this satanic group that could never be proved. And because it could not be proved, and because of the satanic panic back at that time, their claims were ultimately dismissed. Now, I have to say that certain parts of the Lucas Tool uh, uh, crime spree, national crime spree, back in the 70s, 80s, specifically in the 80s, was a significant portion was mishandled, especially by the Texas Rangers, believe it or not. Uh, the dismissal of the satanic component to things like this is too quick because of the satanic panic excuse. Remember, I had spoken about the John of God's cult as it related to the shooter in Dayton, Ohio, or uh, as it related to, to one of the shooters last week. Well, there seems to be a connection, tenuous perhaps, periphery, and it's periphery perhaps, but a lot of the times, especially in the child sex trafficking rings, you're looking at... Um, at some level, some level of satanic connection. So I thought it was very interesting that he pointed that out. We can finish that, that, that video. Go ahead. In front of my children, they will, they will cheer, oh, Hillary killed Epstein, because they think they're in on some big, powerful thing. Yeah, you are. You're in the Satan system. You're damn right you're dialed into something evil and dark and old. 
So I'm not serving your God left and all your intimidation and all your threats only make me work harder. Do you understand that? And our listeners and viewers, they understand what's happening. It doesn't matter how much you censor us, they're going to share this video and these links because we've built our own system to cut through your propaganda and to cut through your electronic Berlin Wall. There's going to be a lot more coming out and a lot more big revelations. So get ready. Thank right. you all for watching. Now, please. All right. I wanted to play that because I think that, that I think uh, he had said a lot of great things there and a lot of important aspects of this case coming out that, uh, hey, no matter what comes out, people are going to question this. And, of course, when you do, you're labeled a conspiracy theorist. And, of course, if you're labeled a conspiracy theorist, then, of course, you're on the radar of the FBI because now you're a domestic terrorist based on the definition or based on this document dated May 30th. Interesting timing again on this. Interesting timing in the against the backdrop of the shootings. Interesting timing, regardless, because there are numerous events to talk, that talk about this. The documents that he referenced again. This is just a recap that video segment. The case files and the documents that were unsealed, Cernovich and others, that were really. And I've gone through these documents create this extremely volatile situation or show that that Epstein was at the epicenter of this sex trafficking of minors that serviced, again, that serviced the most rich and powerful. In, in terms of his death, I, I have to move along here a little bit. In terms of his death, dead he, he, you heard where he said dead men tell no tales. And where he said at gut level, I believe that he was murdered, you know, as opposed to um, being whisked away to some witness protection or being uh, taken to Guantanamo or some other some other potential. I think it, it's plain and simple. I think they got to him in prison. It's interesting, about 12 days prior, if I don't know how many people remember this, they found him uh, or unconscious on his uh, cell floor. And, of course, they, they administered some aid to him, and they put him on suicide watch, and they took him off a of suicide watch. All of those, each one of those um, incidents involves decision-making at a higher level within the prison system. Okay? So having him on suicide watch, that requires a high-level administrative decision. Taking off suicide watch, another high-level administrative decision. But the bottom line, the surveillance of Epstein while in prison, given his high visibility, high value target, shall we say, or the importance of him, there's really no way he could have, should have, or let me, let me switch that, should have, or even could have hung himself in prison, in my view. When you read the documents... The uh, documents that came out again last week, last Thursday or Friday, the day before or the day of his death, how damning they are, how, what an what a incredible picture they create. A lot of people, rich and powerful, in my view, from the Clintons to royalty to intelligence assets to members of Hollywood, the media, they benefit by the death of Jeffrey Epstein, by him being out of the way. So the logical conclusion, if we were to, um, if we were to just at, at a gut level, as Alex Jones said, I would say that dead men tell no tales. Hey, 
one less, well, getting rid of him gets rid of a lot of the problems. Remember the Hollywood Madam. Hollywood Madam was on InfoWars. Remember that, that little black book she had. And she said, I would not commit suicide ever. And yet, what, two, three weeks or a month after she appeared on InfoWars, and she was found hanging, dead. Remember that? How many people could she have taken down? Isn't it kind of curious that we're seeing the same template over and over and over again? Different methods, different tactics. How about Vince Foster? What did he know? I'm tossing Vince Foster in there for a reason as well. How about the Clinton body count, which includes Vince Foster? Are the Clintons, do they have the power and the reach to get somebody out of, you know, in prison? Sure. If you've got the money, if you've got the contacts, you can get to anyone in prison. Again, I thank you for staying with me. You're going to want to stay for this next hour because now I'm getting into the timeline. Oh, such an important timeline it is. And by the end of the show, you'll have it all, all the information, all the information you need to talk to your friends about the, in my view, the murder of Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein and why it had to be done. And right back, stay right where you're at. Welcome to Hagman. It's the Hagman Report, where truth can't be silenced. I want to thank you so much for joining me, staying with me. This is hour number two of this program on Monday, August 12th, 2019. Now, you might think I went through that pretty methodically and pretty agonizingly slow, but I wanted, I really wanted to, to, to capture the essence of what we're dealing with here. You've got an alleged suicide while under 24-7 guard, that's being the prison, Okay, not necessarily, I'm not referencing the uh, suicide watch, which was apparently lifted, again, requiring an administrative decision. Who made that decision or who ordered that decision to be made? And uh, what does his death portend um, to the deep state or what does it, how does it benefit the deep state if it does? Or what does it say about everything right now, the, the situation where it is right now? And to those who say, well, Epstein's not dead, he was ferreted away in witness protection or whatever, okay, I can certainly entertain your uh, theories, but I would dare say it would be a lot easier uh, and, and a lot more beneficial for members of the rich and powerful, those who have the capability and the reach to get someone in prison, to just simply take them out as opposed to ferreting him away in the witness protection program or making him disappear or, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be. And, uh, but, but that's, that's my view on things at this point. Okay. Now, before I get, by the way, before I get moving on into the timeline, which I think you're going to find fascinating because these are, um, this timeline is really something to behold. Folks, uh, Wisconsin Christian News, I've been honored to have the, uh, title or the uh, front page uh, in my article for this issue of the Wisconsin Christian News. As a matter of fact, it's the mid-August, mid-September edition. And folks, if you haven't done so already, 
please subscribe to the Wisconsin Christian News. It's like $35 a year for the digital and print editions. It's really, really inexpensive. But to me, this is where the, the, the this is one of the publications that I can hold in my hand that I feel that really delivers the truth about current events from a Christian and biblical perspective, an accurate one. I'm fully behind Wisconsin Christian News. I would urge everyone to subscribe. Again, I don't get anything out of doing this. I'm a contributor, and uh, uh, my, I just I, I love this publication. I really do, and I'm honored to be able to write for them. But I, I do know that we as Christians and we as Christian conservatives, we're in short supply of the truth. This is one place where you can get the truth in print, and you can actually hold it, or you can get it on your iPad, you know, I mean, or, or whatever device. You can digital and uh, hard copy. That's wisconsinchristiannews.com. The link will be in the program description box, of course, to, to subscribe or contribute or to, to do both. Um, by the way, Lightstream. I had mentioned my sponsors earlier and my supporters. I want to thank all of you. You know, we have times where we get into, we've got multiple credit cards, multiple credit card debt, and we look at the rates and, you, and you're just thinking like, my goodness, wow. I mean, you get credit card bills and every month you get them. And with multiple payments, multiple due dates, it's confusing sometimes. Plus the rates are different. Well, how about this? How about a credit card consolidation loan through Lightstream? This makes it so easy. Listen to me. You can, with a credit card consolidation loan from uh, from my friends at Lightstream, you can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay, which is lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 19% APR. Plus, the rate is fixed, so you'll never... It'll never go up over the life of the loan. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 with no fees. And you can even get your money the same day that you apply. It's amazing. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve better, a much better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. Now, folks, here is, you got to listen to me. This is how you could take advantage of this special offer for you, the listeners and viewers of the Hagman Report. Again, just for my listeners and just for my viewers, you can apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Hagman. That's H-A-G-M-A-N-N, lightstream.com slash Hagman. I'm going to spell the whole thing out for you. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M. That's Lightstream dot com slash Hagman H-A-G-M-A-N-N it's that important folks this is subject to credit approval rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com slash Hagman for more information it's a good company we take advantage of this now let's get into this timeline what's this all about Jeffrey Epstein. I put together a um, I put together a, a presentation for you. Perversion of justice, so you can see from start to finish just how bad things are. Epstein Pedigate is what I titled it, and that of course is the title page. Let's take a look at the timeline. 
I'm going to follow along here in my notes that uh, that I that I made for a number of years, folks. Jeffrey Epstein abused teen girls, according to police and others. And and this is a timeline of what I would call a perversion of justice. Let's go to 2005. It's 14 years ago. This is when it all began to surface. Back in March of 2005, a 14-year-old girl and her parents report that Jeffrey Epstein molested her at a mansion in Palm Beach. Now, she said a female acquaintance and a classmate at the Royal Palm Beach High School had taken her to the house to give Epstein a massage in exchange for money. Can you imagine that 14-year-old girl? Imagine that if that was your daughter, okay? In April, Palm Beach police started investigating. And they did one of my favorite things in the world, trash archaeology. They began to do some trash pools at the Epstein's Epstein's mansion, going through the garbage. You'd be surprised what you find in people's garbage. I used to hate it when 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 people shredded their documents because it would take me a long time to have to retape those shredded documents back together. But I digress. So what happened was Palm Beach police acting on this. They were, they said, hey, we're going to investigate this. We are going to investigate the crime. I don't care who this guy is. This is Palm Beach police now saying this. So they go, the detectives go through his garbage. And guess what? They discover a telephone message for Epstein from the girl, the complainant, complainant that had her name on it. And it corresponded to a time this girl said that she corresponded with uh, Epstein. They also found the names of other girls on message slips in his trash. That was in April of 05. This is how far back this goes. Okay. This is where it all starts now, at least in the public venue. In October of that year, with the police probe in full swing, one of Epstein's assistants calls one of the girls just as she's being questioned by the police. Now think about that. Here's a girl in police at the Palm Beach, Beach Police Station in a room, and she gets a call from one of Epstein's assistants as she's being questioned about the incident by the police. This leads to police investigating additional girls in additional situations, as well as those people who work for Epstein, including one butler. Remember that. Now, his, the people that work for Epstein had told police that Epstein had frequent visits from the girls throughout the day, the various days. In October 20th of 2005, they had enough information where they executed a search warrant at the Epstein house. And he lives, by the way, on El Brillo Way or lived there in Palm Beach. The investigation continued. In 2006, May, the Palm Beach Police Department signed a probable cause affidavit. What that was, they had probable cause to arrest him and charge Epstein uh, 
and two of his assistants with multiple counts of unlawful sex acts with a minor. The Palm Beach State Attorney, remember this name, Barry Krischer, K-R-I-S-C-H-E-R, what does he do? Now, this is the Palm Beach Attorney, State Attorney. Instead of taking the case, he refers to a grand jury. The police had everything they needed for the prosecution of Epstein, but the U.S. or but the uh, Palm Beach State Attorney Barry Krischer uh, referred the case to a grand jury. Why do that? Well, what happened next? In June of that year, the grand jury, after hearing from just one girl, returns an indictment of one count, just one count of solicitation of prosecution. And guess what? That count does not even reflect that the victim was underage and that there were others. And the others were underage as well. That's it's incredible. That should have never happened. The Palm Beach police were even more incensed at that. In July, the Epstein's powerhouse legal team, what they did was they negotiated. They tried to negotiate a deal with the state's attorney's office to get a sweetheart deal. Lawyers, uh, they, they talked about a deferred prosecution in which Epstein would enter a pretrial intervention programs and serve no jail time, okay? We don't want jail time. The Palm Beach police chief was really PO'd, so he pushed for an FBI investigation. So the FBI finally opens an investigation called Operation Leap Year, and they identified possible crimes of child prostitution or prostitution. And isn't it interesting that the FBI in November, the following month, they began interviewing potential witnesses, potential victims in three different states. Yes, Florida. Yes, New York, but also New Mexico, where, by the way, Epstein has a, a, a property. That was November of 06. This is how far back this goes. This is the genesis of what we're seeing today. The following year, as the investigations, plural, progressed, in May of 07, the U.S. Attorney's Office prepared to present the case to a federal grand jury. Not a state, but a federal grand jury. Epstein's attorneys said, hey, we got to discuss this investigation. Well, the following month, in June of 2007, a 53-page indictment was prepared by the U.S. Attorney's Office. There were also concurrent plea negotiations going on with Epstein's attorneys. So here's the deal. When you know that you're, you know, cojones are in a vice, right? You have a tendency to say, well, let's talk about how we can best work this out for society and for us and my client. And, you know, all right. Well, that's also used as a stalling tactic. Now, again, we're talking about 2007. Here's the best part. I like this part in 2007. The grand jury issued subpoenas for all 
Epstein's computers. And where have we heard this before? About computers? Well, guess what? Even after, or even before, shall I say, the subpoenas were served to grab Epstein's computers, guess what? They suddenly disappeared from the residences. Who'd have thought that? Have we heard that before anywhere? They were removed from his Palm Beach home prior to the police search. And guess who was the U.S. attorney at the time in Miami who was handling the negotiations and such? That's right, Alexander Acosta. Now, Alexander Acosta, you know, okay, is was on the uh, Trump uh, cabinet and, of course, resigned because of all of this. Remember? Oh, this, what it, this is what it was about. Oh, okay. So this goes back to 2007. Now I understand. Because, see, he was a U.S. attorney in Miami, and he entered into discussions about a plea agreement, and that extends from July into August. And, oh, he the, the computers, yeah, slipped through his fingers. All right, so let's move on to September of 07. Federal prosecutors drew up a bunch of uh, several plea agreements and and proffers, I suppose. Well, not even proffers. That that suggests something different, but plea agreements. In other words, here's what we're we're prepared to offer you, Mr. Epstein. Well, Epstein's attorneys rejected all of them. Okay, imagine that. Imagine you or me being treated like this. No, no. But the federal prosecutors drafted several plea agreements. Epstein and his attorneys rejected all of them. Epstein, however, signed a non-prosecution agreement on September 24th. This is 07 now. But they were dragging their feet. Epstein's attorneys were stalling and stalling and stalling and stalling because they knew they had... You know, they had to face the music, so let's just drag it out through negotiations and such. And don't forget, the uh, federal attorneys, they were playing ball. October, with the non-prosecution agreement still being debated, Alexander Acosta, again, you know him from the Trump cabinet, met with Epstein lawyer Jay Lefkowitz in the West Palm Beach Marriott to discuss... Hey, let's get this. Let's get a deal finalized. Now, among the terms that were agreed upon, the victims would not be notified. The deal would be kept under seal, and all grand jury subpoenas would be canceled. Oh, sounds like a sweetheart deal to me. Can you believe that? Sounded good, except for a couple of addendums. There was an Epstein's lawyers objected to an addendum to the agreement, the provision that was objected to. They called for a special master to appoint an attorney to represent Epstein's victims, uh, their right to civil compensation. Epstein says, no, 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 no. You can't come after me for money. No, no, no. A lot of times when you're faced with a criminal suit, in this cases like this, Oh, where you get slammed the hardest is in the civil side. Think O.J. Simpson for a moment. No justice on the criminal side. Civil compensation or civil suits. Oh, my goodness. 
So that's what was going on. And Epstein says, no, 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 no. And again, I'm trying to really simplify things because there's so much here. And I'm leaving out a whole ton of stuff. I'm just giving you the high points here. So what you're seeing today began in 05. Now we're up to 07. In fact, we're, we're going into 2008. And this is when Epstein's attorney, Lefkowitz, picks up the phone and says, hey, Mr. Acosta, uh, guess what? One more sticking point, aside from the civil thing. You've got, uh, my client's going to have to register as a sex offender. He don't want to do that. It was in January of 2008. Of course he doesn't want to do that. Register as a sex offender. It requires him to register as a, but, but see, and, and oh, the other thing that happened too during this time, during the, the, all of these negotiations, the victims identified during this um during this time, the victims identified during the plea uh, negotiations were being harassed. We're being harassed by the legal team, by Epstein's lawyers. And, oh, I should mention that even though we're three, well into three years into a criminal charge, Epstein remained free even after findings that he sexually abused numerous underage girls. So, in March, preparations are made for new federal grand jury presentation and court documents. U.S. Attorney's Office notes Epstein's victims are being harassed by his lawyers, as I mentioned. In May, the Justice Department issues findings that if a plea deal is not reached, Epstein can be federally prosecuted. Um, and as I mentioned, he's out walking the streets. Now, in June, on June 30th, Epstein appeared in a Palm Beach County courtroom. He pled guilty to state charges. This is June 30th of 08. Remember, the charges were levied in 05. The accusations were made in 05. The, um, this is June 30th of 08. And this is what this is all about today, okay? This is the groundwork I'm telling you about. He pled guilty to state charges, one count of solicitation of prosecution, one count of solicitation of prostitution with a minor child under the age of 18. He's sentenced to 18 months in jail, followed by a year of community control or house arrest. Now, he's adjudicated as a convicted sex offender who must register twice a year in Florida. Here's the thing. That was in June. In July, the victims the minor victims and their parents were finally informed of the deal that was struck between the prosecutors and the lawyers for Epstein. That's kind of a no-no. You need to include the victims, victim impact statements and such, but you need to include the victims here. His victims learn that he's already been sent to jail, that the federal investigation is long over, and they seek to have his plea agreement unsealed. They want to see the terms of the agreement. But federal prosecutors say, look, if we... Now, we're not going to release the terms or the, the uh, 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 terms of the agreement. We're just not going to do it. Well, that 
started. A year-long court battle by the uh, the victims and, and their their families and their attorneys to find out what what was in this plea deal. In October of 08, Epstein began to uh, uh, he began work release from the county stockade. I mean, what a sweetheart deal. You want to know what this involved? It involved him being picked up by his private driver six days a week and transported to an office in West Palm Beach where he, he had visitors for up to 12 hours a day. He only went back to jail for, for a hot and a cot. <laughs> one hot, one cot. Seriously? And, oh, during this time, guess what? More victims came forward. Over 60 victims were found. Now we're talking 11 years ago now, or almost 11 years ago. We're talking well into three years after the initial accusation of child sex prostitution was levied against Epstein. And Palm Beach police investigators found numerous victims in the FBI under under who? What was his name? Robert Mueller? James Comey? Both? <laughs> yeah. Can't make this stuff up, right? And, and the U.S. attorneys, they all kind of backed or, or all just used kid gloves. But can you imagine? Here's Epstein. The investigations, plural, show that he is, his victims are numerous. He's running, he's at the epicenter of a child prostitution ring. Oh, and by the way, his clients are big clients, big names. He could take down, I mean, he could take down a lot of people. From Bill Clinton, yes, 27 flights, many to his island on the Lolita Express, that airplane that you saw. All of this stems back from that one accusation. This is the timeline I'm giving you now. So you've got, you understand how this all developed because you hear Epstein, you think, well, okay, he was accused of something. But, you know, no, this is how it all began. This is the backstory. So guess what? Even though he had such a rough life in prison, that's right, he spent, uh, he only spent maybe, oh, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 hours a night in prison, allowed to work the rest of the time. Picked up by his driver, transported to his office, and such as I mentioned. Even though he had such a rough sentence, he's released from the Palm Beach County stockade five months before his sentence runs out. Now, the only thing that stuck in his craw was the fact that he had to register as a sex offender and, and serve probation for a year. In other words, he, he was confined. Now, listen to this because it's going to blow your mind. He was confined to uh, his Palm Beach home except to travel to his office in West Palm Beach. But guess what? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Sounds like a couple of probation officers up here I know. <laughs> Records show that 
Well, and while under probation, Epstein frequently made trips to where? The Virgin Islands. Manhattan. So much for house arrest. Well, now here's where it gets interesting. This is 09. And this summer, August, Palm Beach Police Captain George Frick. He's driving down the road, driving down A1A, doing his thing. Looks up. Guess who's walking down the street? In the middle of the afternoon. When he's supposed to be at work. In his office. In downtown West Palm Beach. You guessed it. Jeff Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein. So the Palm Beach police captain pulls over and says, what are you doing? Epstein says, well, I'm walking to work. And the officer, the police uh, captain says, well, you can't be because you're not going in that direction. Again, certain probation officers, I don't believe should have jobs. Certain ones. I could think of one in Crawford County, Pennsylvania. You can see, in this case, however, his probation officer said, hey, Epstein has permission to get some exercise. You've got to be flipping kidding me. Oh, and it gets worse. Oh, you think you heard it? It gets worse in this segment. I'm going to tie it all together for you. And again, if you're not hacked off, you're not paying attention. You're listening to the Hagman Report, where truth can't be silenced. It's the Epstein Files. Going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Final segment. Welcome to Hagman, the Hagman Report, where truth can't be silenced. Talking about Jeffrey Epstein, giving you the backstory, giving you how it all started, what you need to know to bring you to the current day. And then I'm going to wrap it up uh, in the final moments. But keep with me here because this is a pretty convoluted and twisted story of injustice, the perversion of justice. Okay. Remember I left off where Captain Frick finds Epstein walking around. And, of course, his P.O. says, hey, the guy needs exercise. What a bunch of crap, right? All right, so in September of 2009, again, now this is, this is 10 years ago, the federal non-prosecution agreement was made public. And at that time, at least a dozen civil lawsuits had been filed by women who alleged that they were molested by Epstein when they were underage. You see a pattern here? Well, Epstein begins one by one to settle these out of court. And in November, one of Epstein's former butlers, this is where it gets kind of cool, if you can call it that. One of his former butlers tries to sell an undercover FBI agent a black book filled with the names of hundreds of girls and young women that Epstein reportedly procured for sex and, of course, massages. That's the thing, right, with happy endings. The butler tells the FBI agents that he witnessed nude underage girls at Epstein's pool 
and had known that Epstein was having sex with him. He also saw pornography involving underage girls on Epstein's computers. You know, the computers that just went missing. The butler, Alfredo Rodriguez, is later charged with obstruction of justice, and he's sentenced to where? A federal prison where he dies in 2015. Now, subsequently, the contents of the Black Book do become public as part of several lawsuits. And again, the Black Book is the girls, okay? All right, let's jump to 2010. This is when the everything started to pick up steam. Uh, flight logs were obtained as part of law, the civil lawsuits. Now, this is where we, we start to get some uh, traction here. Remember hearing about Lolita Express. Remember hearing about the flight logs with the initials. Well, this is where this is where it began. It, it was obtained as part of a civil lawsuit, or lawsuits plural against Epstein. And what do they reveal? They reveal Bill Clinton, number of politicians, academics, celebrities, heads of state, world leaders, flying on Epstein's jets in the early two thousands. Again, Bill Clinton was one of the big ones. Sandy Berger. How about lawyer Alan Dershowitz? Now, Dershowitz denies this claim. Let's go to 2011 here as we're running out of time. In March, two of his victims file a motion in federal court accusing the government of violating their rights, again, by failing to notify them about the plea deal, keeping it secret, among other things, they want the plea deal invalidated. They said, no, 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 you can't be doing this. We want Epstein to go to prison. But you plead, you, you, you entered into a plea without getting our input, and here he's walking free. He's living the high life. He's not being punished. And they accuse federal prosecutors of deceiving them with false notification letters. Huh. You think? All right, back in September of eleven. U.S. District Judge Kenneth Mara rejected the U.S. Attorney's Office argument that there's not an obligation to notify victims. We, we don't have to notify victims, at least not prior to sticking a non-prosecution, sticking to a, a non-prosecution agreement with Epstein, because there were no federal charges filed against him. That decision does provide a victory to Epstein's victims. But at what cost? Because they, that, that, whole, that, that whole thing drags on for seven years plus. Now, in 2011, November, oh, Epstein was hacked off because he had registered in New York uh, as a sex offender. And as a, matter, as a matter of fact, as the highest and most dangerous level sex offender on the charts in New York. This was not without a fight. He and his attorneys... Um, actually, he, his attorneys, and the New York District Attorney's Office. Well, they were they were fighting to keep keep that classification lower than what it was. By the way, a level three status, in case you're wondering, means a high risk of repeat offenses and a threat to public safety. That's what Epstein was. All right, March through. Most of 2012, Epstein did as much PR crisis rehabilitation 
as he possibly could to, to, to his reputation. Oh, my goodness. He, he, he tried to counter all the bad press there was. He, he uh, donated millions of dollars to scientific research. I mean, he did everything to look like a philanthropist. I was in 2012, and 2013, 2014. Let's move on to 2015. Woman, a girl by the name of Virginia Roberts. She was working at Mar-a-Lago. When she was recruited to be a masseuse for Epstein. Can't get it out of your system, can you, Jeffrey? That's right. Virginia Roberts filed court papers in Florida claiming that she was forced by Epstein to have sex with none other than Prince Andrew and Alan Dershowitz. Again, you know, these are allegations by Virginia Roberts when she was underage. In a sworn affidavit, she provided photographs of her with the prince and with Epstein's close associates, including British socialite. Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell. She claims that Maxwell worked as Epstein's madam, which, of course, Maxwell denies, and Dershowitz and the prince deny her claims. That's Virginia Roberts' claims. And there was a whole bunch of suits, legal suits, that flew back and forth. is between Dershowitz and Roberts and the attorneys. There's out-of-court settlements and such. In April 2015, a federal judge ruled that Roberts, Virginia Roberts could not join the Federal Crime Victims' Right Act lawsuit and that her affidavit accusing Prince Andrew and Dershowitz of having sex with her when she was underage because they had to be stricken from the case. Dershowitz said the ruling meant he was vindicated. However, the judge doesn't address the, the veracity, the truth to Robert's allegations. Okay. Writing, and, and here's what the judge wrote, the factual details regarding with whom and where Jane Doe's engaged in sexual activities are immaterial and impertinent to the central claim. It's kind of like a, a red herring. You know, it's, it's, it's something like, well, because this case is dismissed means he, he's not guilty. No, not quite. All right, in September, Roberts, Virginia Roberts, sues Maxwell. Again, Epstein's madam, alleged madam, in federal court in New York, claiming that she defamed her in public statements in the media. The lawsuit is considered to be a conduit now for Epstein's victims to expose the scope of his crimes. Now, you see where Epstein is becoming a liability back in 2015 to those people he provided the services for. This is kind of where the worm turns, folks. This is where it turns, at least in a legal sense. This is where Epstein's starting to sweat under the collar. And this is why I believe this is where it all turned. And this is why... Epstein's room temperature today. Dirt nap, pushing up daisies, whatever you want to thought, whatever you want to say. And this is why I don't believe he was whisked away in some witness protection program. Because this opened up the doors to expose Epstein's crimes. 
several civil lawsuits followed the same followed that same year, and we're talking 2015 now. Toward the end, September, October, November, allege that Epstein and his madam Maxwell, Gisele Maxwell, operated an international sex trafficking operation. Suddenly, bam, the doors open wide. What are we doing? Sex, international sex, underage sex trafficking operation. That's when he became a liability in 2015. Okay, 2015, you had Obama in the presidency, you had uh, Lynch's Department of Justice, uh, in the Department of Justice, uh, Comey as FBI director, right? Okay, so there was a lid on things. Again, follow me, I'm, I'm, I'm making a point here. That was in September and later in 2015. All right, let's jump to 2016. Again, 2015, Epstein starts to become a liability, and I'm sure he's starting to sweat. 2016, a lawsuit was filed in Manhattan by a woman who once used the name Katie Johnson, claiming that she was raped by then-presidential candidate Donald Trump at Epstein's Manhattan mansion in 1994. That's what the, the media is picking up on. In case you heard about, well, Epstein and Trump and, 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 and okay, of course, everyone denies it, except for, except for Katie Johnson. That was one, one person out of how many? Out of hundreds who said, wait a minute, Donald Trump did, did this to me. Never before, never after was Donald Trump mentioned. One person mentions it. By the way, she scheduled a press conference to tell everyone about it, except that she backed out just days before. And then she dropped the lawsuit. No, you know, people do that. The other victims, however, didn't. <clears throat> In 2017, now this is where it gets a little dicey for President Trump. President Trump nominates who? Alexander Acosta. U.S. Secretary of Labor. He was questioned at his confirmation hearing about the deal he approved for Epstein. Do you remember that? Acosta was confirmed. Anyway, bottom line was uh, Acosta, not so much. All right. Last year, December of 2018, really nine months ago. A civil trial was scheduled in Palm Beach County on the allegations of a victim, Bradley Edwards, that Epstein sued him, for, sued him to punish him for representing several of his victims. Now Epstein's going after the lawyers. Again, when you've got this much money, you can spend as much money as you want you know, equal justice, not so much. Money money buys lawyers' fees and buys lawyers and such. Well, they called this malicious prosecution. It was a malicious prosecution lawsuit. And uh, Epstein said, no, I'm not going to show up in, in court. 
By the way, the girls who were abused by Jeffrey Epstein and the police who championed their cause, remember the Palm Beach police? How they wanted to, to have this thing go, you know, move forward. Well, guess what? You know, the, the feds kind of put the damper on that. Negotiations, they succumbed to negotiations. Well, the, the police were really PO'd and they were angry. And they are still angry to this day over what they perceive as this gross injustice. Because Epstein remained free, unpunished. His employees and those who, um, those who engaged in the activities, unpunished. Those people who engineered, who crafted, created, eked out, penned through the non-prosecution agreement, they prospered. Now we have Epstein reportedly 10 toes up. You have, I had just given you, you have the background. That's how it all began, 2005. I just went through 14, almost 15 years. And you may say, well, okay. So what? Why now? Wait, I'm going to tie it all up here for you. Remember me saying that in 2015, Epstein became a liability because the worm turned and all of a sudden his, his, his uh, um, victims could sue. There was uh, some uh, publicity there. There was the allowance for the plea arrangements to be made public. Then last week, you saw... Uh, 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 you saw the documents, Epstein, Epstein files being made public, hundreds of pages. I mentioned Giselle uh, Maxwell. Let me go back to, uh, uh, before I go back to that, uh, guess what, uh, guess what was referenced Guess what was found? Remember, there were charges filed in New York State against Jeffrey Epstein, right? More recently. Um, and these were made public. Well, what was found in the search of the New York, the Manhattan townhouse of Jeffrey Epstein? Because remember, he was getting hit from Florida and then New York and then the federal. Well, what did they find in New York at his mansion in Manhattan townhouse in New York? There were images. Nude and partly nude images were found inside a locked safe of underage girls. Think about that. There were CDs with labels such as Girl Picks Nude. There's just some of the images of young women, some who were definitely underage. 
that were found during a search of his townhouse. Again, remember, just 10 years earlier, he escaped uh, prosecution, as I, as I outlined for you. And what else was found? Information that suggested celebrities, socialites, powerful figures, including past presidents, There were um, new sex charges of, or new charges of sex trafficking and sex trafficking conspiracy, and that's where that's where he was picked up and taken to a Manhattan Correctional Center. That's what caused the latest. See, kind of this new round of accusations. So what they didn't get in Florida, they were successful in getting in New York. Tossed him in jail in New York. Meanwhile, they, they searched his Manhattan townhouse. They found all of this evidence against him. That's where we're at, or we were at. The... The interesting part about this is the people, the high-profile connections. And, and even though Epstein had made a deal in Florida back in 08, by the way, that deal would, included some um, included some of the evidence that was found in the Manhattan townhouse. So, in other words, the argument there was, well, wait a minute, that was that case was already adjudicated where they found pictures of the girls. That that was that was from 08. That was a long time ago. And New York says not so fast. We we can still get you on that. We're, we're a different state. We're not bound by that agreement. It's clear that Epstein became a liability to the deep state. And again, people will say, well, Donald Trump's part of this. And, and, and just look at Acosta. What did Acosta do? Acosta was labor secretary. Okay. Acosta made a sweetheart deal. Yes. Acosta was not involved in any of the, there's no pictures of Acosta. There's no reference to Acosta. And, and the, yeah, he just, he just acted as the deep state stooge, I suppose. And Donald Trump, was he a part of it? Well, he ran in some of the same circles as Epstein in that billionaire real estate uh, financier environment. So, yeah, I, okay, is that being a part of it? Oh, but he flew on Epstein's plane. Yeah, he's not, he, yeah he hopped a ride from Palm Beach to, to Manhattan. Whereas Bill Clinton, 27 times. And then... Finally, the release of the documents last week. He went from being a liability in 2015 to a really bad liability now in 2019. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yikes. And this is where we're at today. And this is why I don't believe that he's in any witness protection program or he's not whisked away anywhere or, you know. I believe 
as Jones put it, dead men tell no tales. He, he, he can't be used. He has, he's got no chips. He's dead. If he was alive, he'd have some bargaining chips and he could throw some people under the bus. A really big bus. Not no more. The documents, as I mentioned, include Epstein, his madam, Ms. Wax Maxwell. Again, these are from the documents. This is not me saying this, that I believe this. This is from, I'm reading from the documents here. Ms. Maxwell Epstein created a sexual abuse and sex and child trafficking scheme. This is uh, one plaintiff, young girl at the time. The madam, Miss Waxwell, approached the plaintiff back in 99 when she was 15 years old to recruit her into this scheme, as I mentioned. Ms. Maxwell, Ms. Maxwell was one of the main women Epstein used to procure underage girls for sexual activities. Well, wait a second. One of the main women, what does that suppose, presuppose? It suggests that there were other women. She was a primary co-conspirator with Epstein in his scheme. She persuaded plaintiff to go to Epstein's mansion in a very... Uh, in a, uh, in a fashion very similar to the manner in which Epstein and his other co-conspirators coerced dozens of other children. Pizzagate's not real. Pedogate's not real. Right? Suddenly it is. Oh, but this isn't Pizzagate. This isn't Pedogate. Then what the hell is it? It most sure, certainly is Pedogate. And in terms of pizza shop, as as it was defined by the mainstream media, by the Rolling Stone and other BS magazines, no, I, I guess not. But the tactics are the same. But the oh, the results are the same. I'm not going to read all this to you. I'm just not. I think you got the idea right by now. Look, the, the bottom line is this. And let me, I took some notes. I, I, like to, I like to take written notes, but I took some notes on my uh, computer here going through, the, going through these. So I'll just kind of go over them with you. I believe what we have here is the most obvious, the most apparent, the most uh, in-your-face murder by the political elite that this country has witnessed since the murder of JFK. And I'm not putting Epstein in the class with JFK. I'm just saying that that's of the, this caliber. Um, and who has the most to gain by this? Again, the deep state who were involved in child trafficking, the deep state who were involved with uh, the crimes against children. And by the way, child trafficking, Clinton Foundation, Laura Silsby, Hmm. Haiti, Clinton Foundation, Laura Silsby, Haiti. I'm just saying. When you look at this, 
by the way, you think back to Operation Mocking, but think back of how the deep state has convinced many people that conspiracy theories are, are to be handled, like I said, they're to be handled right here. 30 page, or 15 pages, May 30th. This is how we handle conspiracy theories. I've seen some pretty interesting memes, too, on Twitter. Oh, one thing I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Uh, Bill Barr as Department of Justice. Yeah, there's some conflicts here. Bill Barr's father. And, and this is You need to know this. Barr's father was involved in with Jeffrey Epstein. Back in 2009, Barr joined the law firm of Kirkland and Ellis, which is the same law firm that represented Jeffrey Epstein in 2008. I went over the timeline with you that ended, ended in really a no prosecution. And during Barr's confirmation hearing back in January, I should, I should tell you about this, um, Nebraska Senator Ben Sass asked Barr whether he would conduct a full and thorough investigation into the Department of Justice handling of the Epstein case. Barr responded to the senator. He said, Senator, I have to recuse myself from Kirkland and Ellis matters, I am told. And I think Kirkland and Ellis was uh, maybe involved in that case, so I need to sort of uh, sort out what I can do and what I, what I can say. Just saying. Because in 2009, Barr joined the law firm of Kirkland and Ellis, the same law firm that, again, represented Epstein back in 2008. So there's some conflicts of interest here, apparently. Um, the Barr's father, Donald Barr, once hired Jeffrey Epstein to teach at Dalton School, which is a private academy in New York City. This is back, back in 1973. Uh, by the way, even though Epstein had no college degree. I don't know how you do that. And um, uh, Donald Barr brought Epstein, who was only 20 at that time in 73, and had dropped out of uh, New York University and others, another school, was brought on board to teach calculus and physics. Again, I don't know how you do that. So there's a conflict with Barr. There's a conflict with, with Barr's father. I'm just saying. You may want to accuse President Donald Trump of, you know, associating with uh, Epstein. Mm -mm. No. There's, there's really no smoke or no fire there as far as I can see. And what we're looking at here, again, is the equivalent of an equivocal death investigation. What happened in the jail cell? Exactly why, how was it possible that he was found dead? To answer that question, you have to answer who benefits. Because I don't believe, no matter how long we wait, no matter how much we expect, we're ever going to find any sufficient evidence that we can authenticate, we can validate, whether it be CCTV uh, images or whether it be someone from the prison, to answer the question, how or who? I guess what I'm saying to you is, based on everything we've seen, 
there's sufficient evidence to suggest, in my view, that this was no ordinary suicide. That when you start pushing and start looking and start peeling back the layers, it's almost impossible, almost impossible, where you can have a death occur in a jail cell that's monitored in the fashion that it was, even though he wasn't under 24-7, I mean, you know, every minute of every day, a suicide watch. It's pretty implausible that he would die from hanging in a suicide. And as you heard Alex Jones from InfoWars mention, he had the goods on everybody. So in the end, who benefits? The individuals who benefit are the individuals he had the goods on and could have spilled, spilled those very same goods on. And the real victims here, in addition to the American people and the American justice system, the real victims, remain the underage girls, and at least in my view, the underage girls who were raped or caused to have been raped by this individual. I hope the background of this provided enough information, sufficient information, that you can see where we're at today and how we got here. How we got here was through special treatment by the justice system of Jeffrey Epstein. And when that, be, when that began to fall apart, be really beginning in 2015, all bets were off. And as the years progressed and the years turned into months and turned into weeks here of late, as the documents, the Epstein documents were released, names were floated. But what happened? The noose tightened around, literally the noose tightened around Epstein's neck. And Randy Taylor sat right across from me last Monday, a week ago today, and said, you know what? If Epstein lives long enough, he doesn't have George W. Bush to protect him. Bill Clinton could go down. Hillary Clinton could go down if he lives long enough. Did he? Folks, I hope that made sense to you. I hope that background invest information provided you with sufficient knowledge to say, okay, I get it now. I see where he came from, how he got here. And now, and you notice, I didn't throw any theories about the murderer who did it. But I certainly gave you enough undergirding for discussion. Have a good night.